The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. today, the fifth commandment of God from Exodus 20. We're studying the Ten Commandments. Read just the one verse, Exodus 20, 12, the fifth commandment. But I'll supplement by reading also from the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. Listen first to the commandment in Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you this supplementary word. Hebrews 12.3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And this is God's holy word. Well-known pastor and author Alistair Begg published in a book he wrote on the Ten Commandments this letter composed by a father who I was given to understand, was written at the time to his unruly teenage son. Here's part of what the man wrote, not the whole thing. Dear son, as long as you live in our home, you will follow the rules your mother and I establish under God's guidance. In that sense, our home is not a democracy. We did not campaign to be your parents, and you did not vote for us. We are your parents by the sheer grace of God. Son, I consider it to be a wonderful privilege and responsibility to be your father. And while we do share a deep bond of love, my first objective is not to be your pal. Being a father is a hundred times more daunting a task than being a pal. You are to obey me because what I ask of you is both reasonable and motivated by my genuine love. 
And while this may be hard for you to understand at times, the rule it represents still holds. I know you will understand this perfectly one day when you have a son of your own. Until then, I ask you to trust me. Love your dad. I wonder how you react to that letter. There's surely some who say, well, that sounds pretty rigid and tough. There may be others who say, three cheers, right on. I'm in the latter category because I believe that letter captures a philosophy of parenting that my wife and I used to raise four children who, thank God, have become responsible and godly adults and of whom we are very proud. As I look around at undisciplined models of parenting that are popular in the culture today and seen even in evangelical homes, I see places where the child is the king of the roost. Compared to that, I'm quite sure my children would tell you that I would have been labeled a strict father. I make no apology. Once a rule was set in our home and we were satisfied that it was consistent with the Word of God and with the good of our children, it was not up for negotiation. No child could, by any means, whether they were 2 or 12 or 20, say, Dad, that rule needs to change. There wasn't a question of who was in charge. We were. And I know that when it was accompanied, as I believe it was ordinarily, with a secure atmosphere of expressed love, that kind of firm parenting absolutely works. It's blessed by God and has been for generations. I have to tell you that few things give me more joy today than to watch my own children parent their children. And while I love my grandchildren and don't want to see them hurt, there's actually a kind of pride that goes on if I'm present in the home when little two-year-old gets a smack on the fat part of his leg because he did something wrong. And I say, thank you, son. Thank you, daughter-in-law, for understanding that parents are the ones who rule the home. Of course, that has to come with love, but it has to be firm. Now, today we consider the fifth commandment from God via Moses. Honor your father and mother, that your days might be long in the land the Lord is about to give you. Very simple command. Honor your father and mother. In English, it's five words. This now is the departure into what we would call the second table of the law or of these commandments. If you picture the the typical idea of the commandments on two stone tablets, most would say that this was probably the beginning of the second tablet. The first four, of course, have in common that they address worship for God. How do we respond to who God is? How do we worship Him? We set his name apart, we revere him, we, we honor his day, and so on. Well, now we begin with how we react with people, more on the horizontal plane. And yet the fifth commandment is a perfect transitional commandment because it deals with the prime relationship of individuals relating to one another in this world, parent and child, and it does actually have in common 
with something that is inherent to the worship commands, and that is a kind of the same reverence or honor that's to be shown now, not for God, but for parents. A fairly similar response as we were asked to show to God. Secondary, of course, we don't worship our parents, but we honor them. And yes, the word reverence is not an improper word because they rule us in God's stead. Now, if you want a very colloquial and humorous version of parenting and and how a parent should rule over a child, you can go with Bill Cosby's version. I've chuckled over this one more than once. He had a TV series primarily about parenting for years, as many of you know, and I think this line came from the very first show or one of the first shows when he told his son Theo, son, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Well, that's not an adequate biblical base for parenting. There's got to be something more. We find that the family is the absolute cornerstone of all human society. That's what this commandment is teaching. Whatever weakens the nucleus of a home where parents show loving but firm rule and children return honor to those parents will eventually erode all of civil government and can even bring a powerful nation down to its knees more effectively than an outside attack by any army. Since the 1960s in America, we have seen the unraveling of the home. And I could go on a long time about the causes of this. Couples live together now without marriage vows. It's widely accepted with no moral qualms. People raised in evangelical churches come to us seeking a wedding, and they're surprised that the pastor won't marry a couple because they're already living together. We're surprised that they're surprised. The feminist gospel declares that fathers can be replaced by a sperm bank. TV declares fathers are basically buffoons or fools to be laughed at. Everyone who has anything to do with public education knows that schools are now expected to provide many children, even in the most affluent communities, with structure and nurture that is basically non-existent in their homes. Young men go about boasting how many babies they've sired with multiple mothers, a badge of manhood. Forty percent or more of all births occur to single moms, many of whom will struggle tragically with economic difficulties and loneliness and emotional depression, trying to do what two parents have a hard enough time doing. Is there any doubt that the human family of God's design in Exodus 20:12 is an endangered species? Honestly, I, I think about this statement, and I tell you this is an honest statement. This is not a mere rhetorical flourish or exaggeration. I harbor less fear of what any Islamic terror organization can do in attacking America from abroad than I harbor dread at what is already being done within America with the malignant cancer that is destroying families, a cancer that is out of control in our land. 
Well, that's a dire way to begin. But let's look at this commandment. With the first place, I ask you to consider what we mean by saying honor to whom honor is due. What does it mean to honor father and mother? The Hebrew word in its root means kavod, means heaviness, weightiness. It borrows from the idea of the sheer weight, the authority, the grandeur of God's majesty before which we bow. So we haven't completely gotten away from that idea of worship of God. It's borrowed from that, the fact that parents, too, have a weighty, worthy office, worthy of respect because they have been put in place by God to act in His stead. And authority and obedience and honor should be accorded them. Respect should be given them. Perhaps you've heard the Latin phrase. I'm sure many of you know it, even if you don't know Latin, the the phrase in loco parentis. It's a phrase that applies to what teachers do or, or youth counselors or camp counselors, anyone into whose care we give our children. We say, all right, my child's going to be in your cabin at camp for a week. You are acting in loco parentis. You are acting for me as the guardian and caregiver and guide of my child. Act as I would act. Well, similarly, this fifth commandment places every parent in a similar but a little bit different phrase, if we would say it, in loco divinum, in the place of God. We are God's delegates to our children to exercise His wisdom as far and as well as we can know it, to act as much as possible, and this is a daunting thing, to act as God would act, as caregivers and caretakers of our children. Now, when we're newborn and we enter this world, we come, of course, completely helpless in every possible way. A newborn can do absolutely nothing for itself. It can't feed itself. It can't build a shelter for itself. It can't protect itself. It requires that everything be done for it by a parent. And the only thing in the world it can do is wail when it needs one of those things to be done, and you just have to figure out which it is. And a newborn, and then growing into a one-year-old, a two-year-old, is first in this helpless condition where it can do nothing but receive the care that's given to it by the parent who sacrifices and would sacrifice its very life for the child. But then it grows, and something called a will and a mind begins to develop, and it isn't too long that the child starts to think, well, mom says do this. I don't think I want to do that. I want to do this. And then some decisions have to be made. Somehow, the child has to be governed. Who's going to govern? Folks, the children are governing in an awful lot of families today. Just go in. I I challenge you. I think you could go into Walmart or any supermarket and just cruise you out. Take a cart so you look like you're shopping. But you're really doing a survey, and you will see situations where the child is governing. And the mom is totally under the control, or the dad is under the control of the child. The first thing the child does by way of honor is to obey. And to obey is simply to say, you're the dad. You've told me what to do. I will do it. Now, we know that's not quite so automatic, is it? It takes some work to achieve that. 
And children don't have to have highly developed minds before they begin to rebel and chafe and and not give the honor that comes by obedience. Now, notice the Bible does not say you should obey your parents or honor your parents because they're perfect, because they always decide the right thing. They're all-knowing. I'll just get a little response here if I may, please. You may respond to this. If you know, if you've been a parent at any time in your life and you know that you always were perfect, raise your hand. I'm not seeing any hands. Are you all bashful? Or is it possible that you know that you're an imperfect parent and were an imperfect parent? This principle is not being given because parents are perfect. It's not even a principle that's ignorant of the fact that there are parents who are abusive and who are careless and who would allow their children to be harmed, perhaps. Those are exceptions to the rule, but the rule still abides. The parent needs to be in the place of God. Now, in a situation where you've got a four-lane highway and a tricycle and a three-year-old, you need a parent. Because the child on the tricycle may well want to decide, I can cross this road at 5 o'clock in the evening. And the parent has to say, no, you won't. And the parent has to rule in that situation for the child's safety. Now, people seem to think the situation is somehow greatly different when it's a 17-year-old and the family car and the four-lane highway. It isn't. There's still somebody who knows more than the 17-year-old. And you do allow the 17-year-old a bit of decision-making, a bit of responsibility. But if there's a decision to be made, there's somebody that knows more, simply because of life experience, if nothing else. A spirit of obedience is owed by a young child in lesser and lesser ways as they grow able to show their responsibility. And certainly by 20 and older They're showing a great deal of that. How delightful is the day? You parents who've had your children come to this age, uh, you young parents are just going to have to anticipate this day will actually come. When you sit down in your living room one day, maybe you you haven't been with your child because they have a job on the other side of the country or something, and and you have a chance to get reacquainted, and, and they're 25 or 29, and you have a delightful conversation, and you say to your wife afterwards, why, John's an adult. Wonder of wonders. It actually happened. And he is now responsible. He doesn't have to take your direction. And obedience isn't so much the the issue anymore. In fact, parents can carry the obedience thing too far. I just participated in a lovely wedding yesterday, and, and it causes me to think, you know, when we say, leave your parents and cleave to your wife. It is not a parent's prerogative to approach their married son and their married daughter and saying, I still rule over you. No, you don't. There's a new loyalty and a new relationship to which your son or daughter owes their first loyalty. Honor to you, yes. Obedience and being under your heel in a marriage, no, absolutely not. That is not God's way. So it's obedience first, but honor for a lifetime. Now, interpreters look for something more than just the family in the picture here in this honor to whom honor is due thing. There are wider implications, and many commentators will approach this fifth commandment and say, look, this actually can be seen as carrying beyond itself 
to the whole web of authority relationships throughout the society. We are under the authority of the police, of the courts, of the Constitution, of teachers and professors and church elders and lots of people, employers. And isn't it true that we learn the basic behavior of how do I submit myself to another person in an authority relationship by learning it in the family? What we see happening today is that those who don't learn it in the family, those who don't have a family properly functioning, don't learn it there, and we cannot build the prisons fast enough to house all the people that haven't learned about authority relationships in the home where God designed them to learn it. 1 Peter 2 commands to Christians, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Then it says, fear God and honor the emperor. Isn't that a strange combination? Fear God and honor the emperor. The emperor was a nasty guy. You would not have voted for him, believe me. Fear God and honor the emperor. God put the emperor in place as his authority representative on earth, evil though he may be. Romans 13.1 urges us, be subject to governing authorities. Why? Because their authority is delegated from God. How will we learn to relate to those authorities when the president in office is a guy we don't like, when the local law is one we don't accept, if we have not learned first subjection to our parents and a humility that says there's a time for me to do what the authority says, even if I may disagree. I read to you from Hebrews 12, which says that God is in the process of disciplining us as his adopted children. And shouldn't we be thankful? Hebrews 12, if I can paraphrase, would say, look, if he's not disciplining you, what are you? You're not his child. Because he disciplines his children because he loves them. He wants to train them and see them share in the perfection of his own holiness transferred to them as they mature and grow as disciples. If they don't experience that, they will be a loose cannon in all of society. Augustine wrote less than 500 years after Christ, and he said, if one does not first honor his parents, is there anyone else he will spare? You see, obedience to societal relationships begins in the home. People will read the, the civil laws of Israel. Now, we're not getting into the civil law part of Israel, the detailed things that were given on foods to eat and clothes to wear and, you know, don't wear this kind of material and do this. And Among the civil laws, which we believe passed away with the state of Israel, unlike the moral law of the commandments, which abides, among the civil laws was a law that said if there is a truly rebellious son, now this isn't talking about a bad two-year-old, it's talking about a son who is of an age to outwardly and completely rebel against his parents' authority, he was to be brought before the authorities of Israel and stoned to death. Wow! What in the world were they thinking of? Well, what they were thinking of is that God called his people to dwell as a covenant community in relationships to one another. And if somebody is going to defy those basic authority relationships, he's either going to split the social fabric completely 
or he has to be done away with. So it seems God says this is a pretty important rule, even though that particular civil law of Israel does not abide today. Our understanding of authority relationships is best learned in the home. Now let me bring you the second point. I want you to notice that the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, bears with it a promise of blessing that by keeping it you will live long and prosper. The text uses the phrase, you will live long in the land. Does that explicitly say you'll all reach your 100th birthday and when you reach your 100th birthday you'll be a multimillionaire? I don't think so. But it certainly does express a general principle that is true. Live peacefully and respectfully within your homes, within your families. The family will dwell in harmony. Everybody will have less stress. Everybody will be healthier. If you've got a family business or farm, it will prosper as you work harmoniously. The society will have peace. There'll be spiritual blessing as the fathers teach their sons the lessons of who God is and how to reply. There'll just be a good future for people who live in that that whole realm. Now let me turn it this way and say to you that the apex of this promise comes, and I think when it gets really interesting, is when the parents reach their elderly years. And in our society, we see this much more, even than in more ancient times when people died younger. Many of us find our parents getting older and older. I'm of the generation and a little younger than me on up. Many of you are dealing with elderly parents. Many of you are dealing with the subject we're going to hear about Wednesday night, dementia, Alzheimer's. You say, wait a minute, honor my father and mother. How do I do that? When my parents are falling victim to old age, to illness, to pain, to even the losing of their rational powers. How do I honor them? How do I honor them when a senile parent asks the same question seven times in 20 minutes and gets the same answer and will ask it again if you're still in the room? How do I honor them when I have to take the car keys away, when dad can no longer safely drive? Well, those actually are acts of honor, even if they may have pain attached to them. They're acts of patiently recognizing that those who have sacrificed for you, put themselves on the line, paid a price for you, did the hard thing for you, may well have a day when you need to do the hard thing for them. I speak from experience, folks. In 2004, France suffered a terrible summer heat wave. Maybe you remember that summer nine years ago. Europe was enveloped in terrible heat like we would see in Arizona or something. They're not used to it. They don't have air conditioning in a lot of places. And it so happens that in France, 15,000 elderly people died in non-air-conditioned apartments and homes. And the French government got up in arms about this. How could these people be so neglected? And they looked into some of it and they found out that why they were sons and daughters and grandchildren and nieces and nephews who were off at Marseille at the beach while grandma was dying in an unheated, uncooled apartment in Paris. And the French government said, we have to stop this. And they passed laws, very punitive laws with big fines if there would be a death of an elderly person whose child had not done reasonable things 
to care for them. Well, I would say to you that laws cannot fix that problem in any nation, France or anywhere else. A worldwide epidemic of neglect for the elderly begins with who we are as people in our minds and our hearts and our souls. And neglect for the elderly, even abuse of the elderly, which believe me, your pastors encounter, comes from habits of disrespect that was cultivated at the age of 7 and 13 and 24. If you have a culture that worships youth and says, youth is great, old age is useless, believe me, you who preach that creed will one day be the old person who is declared to be useless. Honor your father and mother continues throughout life. And it can come in some very difficult ways when old age sets in, when you become the parent, not the child. Finally, let me tell you this. Christ and the New Testament church are the ultimate fulfillment of the fifth commandment. This is not something simply tacked on because I have to get Christianity in. In real human history, Jesus Christ proved to be God's perfect son. There was no other perfect son. Just as there's no perfect parent, I proved that a few minutes ago by no hands going up, there's no perfect son or daughter in this room. I don't care how obedient, how loving, how caring you've been, you haven't been a perfect child. Jesus Christ was the only perfect son. He said, my meat and drink are to do my Father's will. My Father has laid out a plan for me. I will follow it. It's my only agenda. I will bring it to completion, and I will do that single-mindedly. And he did it on our behalf. Now, there isn't just a moral lesson in this sermon for you if you're a child or a teenager or a young adult to Sort of, I had somebody come up to me in the hall and say, wow, I'm really checking my attitude towards my parents. Well, maybe you need to do that. How do you think about your parents? How do you talk about your parents to your friends, teenagers? Are they just good old annoying mom and dad who don't know any more than a couple of dinosaurs? Is that what you text to your friends? Or are they possibly people who have sacrificed and done hard things for you and are still doing those hard things today? Check your attitudes, but there's more to it than that. There's a necessity to realize that Jesus was the perfect child. Think of it. He even submitted to Mary and Joseph. Joseph wasn't his father, but he was the surrogate put there to raise him, a carpenter, no education, not an aristocrat, not a man with money. Jesus, from highest glory, submitted himself in Nazareth to Joseph the carpenter. What a lesson. There's no question about who was the higher person there. But Jesus recognized the surrogacy of Joseph and of Mary. On the cross, he said to John, Son, behold your mother. Take care of my mother, he was saying. He obeyed his father, his heavenly father to the end, and he did it so that the consequences of that perfect obedience of all of the law could be transferred to we 
who believe in him. But lastly, we can call the church God's family today because of Christ. You see, God calls those whom he's adopted through Jesus into his family, the church. Now, in the church, there are people who have had imperfect parents and people who are imperfect parents, people who have been imperfect children and maybe still are imperfect children. And guess what? The perfection of Jesus Christ is given to us as a mantle to wear. And so, in the family of God called the church, you see, we who, in effect, were spiritual orphans, even if we had real parents, we weren't literal orphans, but spiritually, we maybe, had a, you, maybe you had an abusive father. Maybe you had an alcoholic father. You had a mother who, who had no natural care for you. You say, I was like an orphan. Well, guess what? In the family of God, those who wear the mantle of the perfection of Jesus Christ are not orphans anymore. There are no orphans in the church. And here in the church, there's a different relationship one to another. First Peter 2 says, within the church, we show proper respect to everyone. We love the brotherhood of believers. We fear God. We honor the king. Yes, we're on our way to perfection, although not completely perfected yet. But here in the church is hopefully a place where elders bear authority and yet they're not tyrants. Here in a church is a place where older women care about the younger women and want to instruct them and where younger men hopefully look in respect to the older men and where children are protected and guarded. There aren't any orphans in the church of Christ, no spiritual orphans. God's cleansed and forgiven family is a place where honor flows. Honor because of what the one and only perfect son who ever lived accomplished on our behalf. Honor to whom honor is due. How does this cut across your life? Consider it carefully today to the glory of God. Father, I thank you for Jesus, because without him, the whole idea of parenthood would would be a frustration, a vexation, because we'd only know how badly we do the job and how weak we are. Thinking ourselves wise, we, we don't always make good decisions. But we have your word, we have your spirit, we have the covering of your perfect son, his righteousness. And so we're assured that as members of your church, you, the great parent overall, are communicating to us what is needed to bind your family together in the harmony of the church. Thank you. For Jesus' sake, amen.